All right. Good morning, everyone. Um, first things first, let's open our Bibles to Ephesians. Let's pray. Lord, please uh, get all the cross that you would have us here today um, and let it sink deep into our hearts. Let it form us and make it something that comes back to us time and time again, that we never forget your words that give life and uh, we never forget your ways which are righteous. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we're going to talk about all of Ephesians today. So, buckle in, we're going to be here a while. And uh, mainly, we're going to be talking about community, which is, um, if you think, normally I, I am kind of like a, uh, an emotional guy who tears up a lot. Um, talking about community, just wait and see. Um, very near and dear to my heart, because you guys are near and dear to my heart. So, aww. <laughs> uh, starting off, the title, Christ's New Society. Like I said, this is community. This is the point of Ephesians is um, the gospel message and how... God's plan for the gospel is working through his people and through his church, his community, and what that looks like. So if we go to the outline, first thing we're going to do, uh, we're going to talk about, um, hopefully, your introduction to the family and our introduction to the family. Then we're going to talk about the unity and the purity of the saints, which, uh, if you're part of the family... That term in the Bible, I know a lot of times with, through uh, our culture and, you know, there's the Roman Catholic tradition of sainthood and stuff um, that can be a little confusing for us. In Scripture, if you see the word saint, it's talking about if you're a part of the church, period. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, you're one of the saints. And so this is going to, we're going to delve into your unity with the other saints and your purity with the other saints. And then we're going to talk about, um, hopefully, our hostility to the devil. Um, you should be hostile to the devil. And that should breed, that should come out of your unity and purity with the other saints because you're a part of a family and that family has a mission and a goal. And that mission and goal is against the devil in his ways. Okay. This is, it's a family feud. Our family versus the devil's family. Okay. This is serious. If he's got a problem with your family member, he's got a problem with you. Okay. So we're going to be hostile to the devil and we'll see how that plays out. 
So introduction to the family, if you turn to Ephesians 1.5. Got my Bible here. We're already there. Hopefully most of us are in Ephesians. The first thing here to note is adoption. Okay, um, Being introduced to a family, either you're born into it or you're adopted into a family. Okay, um, We were born in sin. Right? We were born uh, full of sin, with a sin nature, and we hated God. And uh, we were about the devil's business and his family work. And the Lord adopted us into his family. Ephesians 1.5 says, He predestined us. He always planned it from the beginning of time. He wanted you in his family. So he adopted you as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Okay. Um, I'd like to point out one thing here. If you, if anyone ever goes up to you and says, is there any clear teaching of the Trinity in Scripture? Um, you can show them this verse. You can show them this section, this chapter, because right here you see, uh, predestined by the Father who adopts you through Christ, right, according to his will, and we know that God does his will through the work of the Holy Spirit, okay? And if you read on through this chapter, you'll see this is a Trinitarian idea. It's a family thing. The family got together, the family that is Christ, three Godhead in one, uh, the eternal family. It was an eternal work of the family to bring you into it, bring you into their family, to make you a part of this this eternal community. And everyone was involved. Everyone had a part to play. So again, this introduction to the family is a uh, background or, or work to really, we're going to hit that second category of the unity and, and purity of the saints hard, but uh, I just need to set the groundwork for this. So the next key thing about being introduced to the family, the adoption part, right? The adoption part is the gospel. Okay, it only happens through the gospel. It's made possible by the gospel. There's no other religion that that you can really be truly adopted into their family. Because they don't have a gospel based on grace. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. We're going to look specifically at uh, Ephesians 2, 5, and 6. In your own time, you know, take the notes down, guys. Review them. Go in your own time. Read the whole section of Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. But right now, we're just going to hit 5 and 6. Even when we were dead in our trespasses... This is talking about what God did for us. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We were dead. We were of of Satan's family. We were born in sin. We hated God. We were against God's family. And we were... Needing saved. We were dead. We needed someone to come save us. 
And God the Father, in His eternal wisdom, sent His Son, Christ, through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, to redeem us, and uh, not just leave us there, not just pull us out of the quicksand, so to speak, uh, not to just, just snatch us out of the lion's teeth. He did that, but then He took us home with Him. If you're familiar with the Good Samaritan story, um, the beautiful picture of this is he didn't just uh, nurse this guy back to health. He didn't just give him like the coat off his back or whatever. He took him into his home and nursed him back to health, made him a part of his family. That's like beyond just helping someone out of a tough situation. Okay, that's... That's an eternal, that's a destiny-changing act, okay? You can give a man a fish, and he'll eat for a day. You give a man, you teach a man how to fish, you'll feed him forever, right? Like, that's what we're doing in the Christian community, is we're not just giving someone a helping hand once. It's not just about giving them food that day, or praying a sinner's prayer with them, and then leaving them on their own for the rest of their life. It's about bringing them into your family and changing the way they think and the way they act and their whole destiny and future. And that's what the gospel and that's what adoption's about. Right? Um, and it takes a lot more work, adoption. Right? You can sign a check and send it you know, to some foreign country where there's kids starving and hopefully it'll give them some food. Uh, or you can adopt one of those kids into your family and it's going to be really difficult. But that's going to help that kid a whole lot more. And it's going to help that kid's kids in the future. So Ephesians sums this, this idea of adoption, uh, of taking someone from a different family into the their family, the gospel message, it describes it as a mystery. I think it, the word mystery is used in Ephesians like seven sometimes or something like that. I'm not 100% sure. You have to go look that up yourself. But let's turn to Ephesians 2 that talks about this mystery. So Ephesians 2.11 Therefore, this is just a, we're setting up Three, ver, uh, chapter 3, verse 6. So, Ephesians 2, 11, 12. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, this is what the uncircumcision of a Gentile, someone who's not a Jew, okay? And then the circumcision, the Jew, the person who God in the Old Testament said, this is a sign that you're my people, you'll be circumcised by the flesh. And, and so he's, he's saying this is what the Jews called the non-Jews, right? He's saying in, in this circumcision that the Jews, you know, kind of put on themselves, they, they, they saw this identifier and, and thought it made them something. Um, God, you know, through Paul says, which was made in, in the flesh by hands. It's not some super spiritual thing. It says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, 
alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promises, having no hope and without God in the world. Again, this is that idea that we were once dead and a part of a different family. We were alienated from God's family. We were strangers from God's family. It was beyond just like we weren't a part of the family. Uh, we weren't, you know, like we weren't allowed in in the house. We were alienated. We were separated. We were like, don't talk to that family. Kind of thing. We were rejected. So that, that's where we started from. And then, it, so if we go on to, to chapter 3, verse 6, it says, This mystery is that the Gentiles, us, the people who were alienated, um, sinners, family members to the devil, us, are now fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This is the mystery of the gospel. Um, Ephesians is... And recently they've found some, some older texts of Ephesians and stuff that don't include at the beginning of the greeting in Ephesus. It doesn't actually include, like, this is just to Ephesus in some of the earlier translations. Um, so some scholars think that maybe this, this book wasn't actually written specifically to the Ephesians. Nonetheless, everyone agrees that this book, uh, this Pauline letter, is different than a lot of his other ones because it's not about specific issues. It's about a big idea, and that big idea is that the family of God is global. It goes beyond um, blood, which is huge. This, the reason it's called a mystery in Ephesians, right, the gospel, the reason why it's called a mystery is because God's people didn't get this until Christ came along. God wanted the whole world to know about his goodness. He wanted people to flock to his household to be a part of his family. And before Christ, the Jews, the, God's people didn't get that. They tried to, tried to sh shut themselves off from other people. Recently I heard um, someone it was like a comedian, and they were talking about uh, uh, just different religions. And he was like, you know what's funny? is like uh, the Jews are like the only religion that don't want people to join. <laughs> and that's our heritage. That's what was in our hearts before Christ came along, was we don't want other people to join. We want our family and no one else. We don't want to let anyone else into our household. We want to alienate everyone else. We want to, those people to stay strangers and stay away from us. But the gospel, Christ coming and dying on the cross, he knit us together. He broke down that wall and has pulled people from every background, people from every bloodline, people from every 
uh, economic status, uh, every skin color, every uh, tradition, and he's brought them together under one roof. And that's the message of Ephesians and the message of the gospel. That's the divine mystery is that you can have people from different families that are part of one family. And it's beautiful. So you're a part of this family, all right? What does that mean? You're adopted into this family, right? If you're not convinced, uh, we can talk later and uh, go through it, and maybe I'll introduce you to my family. On to unity and purity of the saints. So if you're called into this family, there's some house rules, house expectations, things that are going to change, right? First off, if you go to Ephesians 4, I, therefore, this is Paul talking, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, Bearing with one another in love. If you are a part of this family, you have a calling that you've been called to. And it's the same for all of us. There's In Christianity, there's an aspect to which all of us have the same calling. We're called to walk in a manner that makes it look like we're a part of this family. Right? Um, let's think of an example here. You know, my family had a way of doing things, and I was expected to kind of perpetuate those family ways, right? Um, you're a part of Christ's family, God's family, and, and that's a big deal. There's a I don't know. There's there's some cheesy Christmas movie I watched one time, and uh, I've watched a lot of cheesy Christmas movies in my time. There's <laughs> probably not just one, but this particular one uh, was all about uh, a son whose whose dad, um, you know, he's like a rebellious young teen or whatever, uh, and his dad gives him a, a watch, or not a watch, a pocket knife that's engraved into it their family motto, which is. Something really cheesy, like we always finish things or something like that. I don't know. Um, but his dad gives it to him, and he's like, this is our family motto. Like, we always get it done or something like that, right? And uh, after that Christmas, the dad passes away, right? Sad movie. Um, fast forward a bunch of years. Uh, there's, I think, a crazy experience with Santa Claus, uh, yada, 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 like, Eventually, the end of the movie, it comes to like um, the kid finally, you know, grown up now, understands the family motto and buys into it, right? And he's like, this is a part of my identity, and I'm buying into the family identity. I'm no longer going to be rebellious and uh, leave my mom and, and younger sister to deal with the absence of our father. I'm going to step up and, and fulfill this family motto that's engraved on this pocket knife, this last memory I have of my father. Because he, 
through his experience, finally understands why his dad thinks that's significant, right? And so, sure, it's a cheesy movie, and uh, um, I think having family mottos are okay, uh, but you're part of a new family, and so your new family motto should be given to you by God. Amen. Right? And that family motto is the gospel. It is the mystery. So we're all called. I want to get that across. Like, we all have this calling. And you should work to hope to figure it out. If you think your calling is to just come to Sunday, like, once or twice a month, or maybe on Easter only, or maybe I'll read my Bible a few times, like, that's not it. It goes a lot deeper than that. It goes a lot deeper than that. But another blessing about this family is where we all have the same calling, right? We all have the same family motto. Uh, there's diversity in this family. So Ephesians 4.16. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which it is equipped when each part is working properly, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So we've all heard the examples of the body in the Bible, right? Uh, my favorite's like a toe's not going to tell, you know, the hand that it's, or the hand's not going to tell the toe that it's worthless or something, right? We each have a part to play. And if you're not playing it, something's lacking from this body and it's not a healthy body. Um, I think a, a silly trend these days is there's this yes day thing out there where parents tell their kids like all day today we'll do I'll say yes to anything you ask child it's a popular thing in our culture right now they made a movie about it so um, that is backwards and that's different body parts of this body, this family, playing the wrong role. It's like trying to walk on your hands all day. Maybe Steven could do it, but the rest of us can't. Like that's, I'm not going to walk on my hands all day. My hands weren't created for walking. My feet were. And so God created us in a family with a an order with roles, uh, different giftings and callings. Giftings and callings that are informed by our history, our upbringing, our, uh, you know, even country and, and where we're coming from, uh, even our biology. Like God informed who we were going to be and our specific calling and how we're going to help the body as a whole. What part we're going to play. So the body has the same mission, to stay alive, and each body part plays a part in keeping the body alive. That's different. So um, your lung is going to keep your body alive in a different way than your foot is, right? Mm -hmm. But it's still the same end. It's still the same goal. We still have the same mission and the same family motto, right? 
this is important. The next thing to get across is, so we've got this calling, but we all have our own giftings. We've got to figure out what giftings are, are God-ordained or which part of us plays into our giftings and is God-ordained and which part of us is wrong and wrong thinking and needs to be shaken off, trimmed back, and, and left behind. Okay, Because not everything that you're, you think you're good at or you think is a part of your identity is a part of your calling that God's called you to. Okay. Um, there's an example in, uh, in church history. Uh, this, this comes out of the book when the church was a family, actually, that we have in our library, um, of a guy who was gifted as an actor. This is early church history, right? So we're talking third century Okay, super early, and the act kind of acting then. I mean, the acting now can be pretty immoral, but back then it was like really immoral. Like there's all kinds of like um, debauchery, sexual sins, and and uh, even like I think in a lot of the plays during that time they'd actually bring prisoners out, and if someone was supposed to get killed in the the play, they'd actually kill the prisoner who's playing that part, like for real. And it was super immoral, right? But this guy had a gifting, or he was good at acting, and this was his career. And then he became a Christian. And the church said, uh, you can't keep doing that even though you're good at it. Because it's against our family motto. It's against our chief end, which is you know, to live pure. So you've got to change your thinking. So the guy's like, okay, I won't be acting anymore, but I'll, I'll like start an acting school. <laughs> that was his solution. And they're like, no, uh, that's not quite it either. So eventually the church says, like, we'll support you. You don't have to do this as a job. We'll, we'll figure something out for you, right? And who knows what became of this guy. I don't know the whole story or the whole history of it. Um, but I'm sure God's intentions was not to, uh, even though this guy was like really good at acting, was not for him to use his, his giftings in an immoral situation. So he had to change his thinking. What does it mean to be a Christian? How do I need to think differently now? Right? I don't know if you've seen those... Uh, this is another really weird thing in our culture on TV. Uh, the Wife Swap show. Has anyone seen that? Super weird, right? Where they take a mom, two moms from different families that are always like the most different ever, and they say, okay, you be the mom of this family for like a week or something, and you be a mom of this family for a week or something like that, right? And so they even like, they move to the different houses, and they're in charge of being moms for this family, right? And there's, like, ones where it's always, like, a really dirty, like, a family that's, like, messy, right? But they're, like, super lovey-dovey. And then there's, like, the clean, cold family, and they always switch those moms. There's this one family that they switched it, and the mom from the one house never hugged her kids. That was upsetting to watch. But anyways, so they take these people, and they switch them, 
And uh, it's a battle. It's interesting. Like the the whole point of the show is like, who's gonna win with this mindset? Like, is the mom's mindset gonna win out in this family, or is the family's ways that they've always done thing gonna win out and and beat this mom down or something like that? I don't know. You know. So they're always trying to see who's going, like whose mindset is gonna win out here. Um, and this is. This is interesting because in Christian community, uh, we think like our mindsets, maybe we can rub off on, on the church or you know, fit some of our old ways of thinking into it or something, but you're part of a new family and you need to change your mindset on some things. Yes. And that needs to bear out in how we walk and, and how we live that out. So our mindsets always affect how we walk and you can see that in Ephesians 5.1. It says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then it lists a bunch of things that you shouldn't do and things you should do. But it says be imitators of God. Okay. I would love to see like dad swap. Where it's like head of household, like the guy who sets the tone for the family. You know, when you join this family, you got a new father. And he has, he has an order to his family, a way of walking, a way of carrying himself, a family motto, right? And it's our job to conform to him. Okay, uh, it is not a, Christians don't have a yes day from God where they get to do whatever they want and God has to play along. He's the dad. He's in charge of saying what goes and what doesn't go. We're the children. We don't decide what God should do. Okay? So we conform to him and we become imitators of him. And this is, this is we're getting back to this unity thing here. If you turn to uh, Ephesians 5, 18. And do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Okay, so this is, uh, we're, we're going down the list of all the things you shouldn't do. And then it says, another wrong way of walking that comes from a wrong way of thinking is don't be drunk for that is debauchery. But, what should we do? What? Yeah, we should be being filled with the Spirit. That's the opposite of, of, of the wrong way of walking. The right way of walk, walking, the right way of walking is, is being filled with the Spirit. And I love that, like, you see this verse a lot, actually. Um, but then I love how in Ephesians, you know, we see all these verses about that. We take all these things about the right mindset and the right way of walking and our calling and all this stuff. And as Americans, we love to apply it to ourselves as individuals and say, how am I going to achieve this? How am I going to walk properly? How am I going to stop being drunk? How am I going to be filled with the Spirit? We think, we think we're only children. 
and we're left on our own to figure out how to grow up and be a part of the family. We think as individuals, and that's wrong, and we need to get past that, and think as a church. And so Ephesians takes these ideas that we love to separate and say, this is, a, this is God talking to us as individuals separated from community. But no, he's intertwined these ideas of your brothers and sisters so closely into the proper ways of walking and thinking that he doesn't even, he doesn't even make the distinction. It just, he flows from one thing into the other. So he says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Same sentence here. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. He's, he's bridging the gap between walk rightly and be filled with the Spirit. And the way you're going to be filled with the Spirit is by greeting each other with hymns and encouraging each other and, and being a family. So he, he kind of talks about two types of submission here. Um, the first one is submission to one another. And again, this is like same thought. It's all just flowing together. This whole book was probably written in, at one point one time, he sat down with his pen, and he's like, I'm going to write this whole letter, and it's all one idea, and it's all one thought. Submission to one another. He says, if we keep going back, he says, you know, make, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We have, been, we have been adopted into a family. And that means we should respect the other people who have been adopted into our family. Okay. The Lord chose us. And he chose John Gray just as much as he chose Kyle. as he chose Logan Carr. They were all equally precious in God's eyes. And equally, God desired equally all of his children to be a part of his family. I'm sure all of us, if you've had siblings in, your imper in our imperfect sin nature, I'm sure you could all take a guess at who your parents' favorite child is. Uh, our family's favorite child was my older brother who got three scrapbooks whenever all the rest of us only got one. So, <laughs> but our parents never led on to that. If you asked them who their favorite was, they always said it was you, whoever asked the question. Yeah, they're very wise. Um, but the Lord really doesn't have a favorite. And he definitely doesn't have a least favorite. If he was gonna choose favorites, he would have chose Christ over us. <laughs> But he didn't. He let Christ die for us. We were the squeaky wheels. We were the troubled children of the family that he's 
always pursuing and loving. And so we should respect each other. We should submit to each other. Submission doesn't just mean doing what they say. It's, it's giving of yourself to that person. Okay? That's what submission is. Submission, again, let me tell you, submission is not doing what someone says just because they said it. Whatever they say. It's not saying, whatever you say, I'll do it. Right? That's wrong. That's not just. Submission is giving of yourself to someone. Right? Submitting is saying, uh, I know you're from a different background and we don't see eye to eye on this, but I'm going to humble myself and think, how am I thinking wrongly? What do I need to change? How can I respect this person enough to say, maybe I need to budge a little bit. Maybe I need to be the first person to say, I forgive you. That's what submitting to one another is. And he goes on to give submission in specific relationships, uh, specific examples. Um, you know, there, those examples, the good old wives and husbands, children and parents, and then uh, bond servants and masters, right? And, and the thing I want to get across this, we're not going to go through all that and dive deep into it, but he gives these examples right after saying submit to one another to, to just say like that is, submitting to one, one another is not an anti-authority statement. Okay? There's, it's not an anti, uh, we have different roles statement. Submission, submitting to one another is not being the same as one another. Okay? Submitting to one another is a value statement. It's an identity statement. That means we will defer to each other. We will, we see the equal value in each other. Okay? So this is how God, in his perfectness, has always submitted to himself. The Godhead, all three parts of the Godhead, submit to each other. Right? But Jesus Christ didn't say, I don't want to die on the cross, so God the Father, you're going to have to. Right? And God the Father's like, well, I have to submit one to another, so I'm going to do it. Uh, no. It was God the Father's wish that the Son would die on the cross for us, and the Son submitted to him. Because that's the, how the dynamic works out. And that, that dynamic, there's that dynamic in marriage, uh, and parents, like I said, there's no yes day. If you're going to tell your kids that you're going to say yes to everything they say that day, that's unwise. I don't suggest doing it. Don't let them do whatever they want. Um, and the same goes for, like, working relationships. Uh, so this is not an anti-authority thing. But I want to get across, before I say anything else about this idea, the thing that I really want to get across is that we are different. If you're joining a family, there's everyone has different personalities, quirks, uh, 
we come from different backgrounds. Some of us come from, from cultures that are really put a high importance on relationships and being in the moment. And some of us come from cultures where being on time is super important, right? Uh, and so that creates tension for us. But this is good. This is a good thing. Ten this is a divine tension that the Lord has given us that we are different and we're always butting heads because it keeps us out of the ditch on either side of the road. This tension is good for us. Right? Growing up, I was a very self-righteous, black and white kind of person who said, this is right and this is wrong. And I was very judgmental. And I'm talking like as a kid, as like an eight, ten-year-old. I was a judgmental child. My older sister was not... The, was not self-righteous, was not uh, goody-two-shoes. She was the one that was uh, uh, bent the rules and said there's a lot of gray area and like to live in the gray area. Okay, And me, as, as a self-righteous uh, Pharisee, said that's wrong. Um, but what I got from my sister, uh, hopefully she got got for me maybe a sense for living more righteously and, and living more in, in the light than in the dark. But what I got from her was watching her, understanding that because she wasn't self-righteous, she was able to have grace with people and mercy with... She was able to love people in a way I wasn't. And that's so important. And I watched my older sister, and, and a lot of people in this church have taught me that. It softened me, hopefully. Hopefully it's humbled me. And if you look at it, all these opportunities where, where you find tension uh, in your marriage is a huge one. If you have tension in your marriage, don't look at it as a problem. Look at it as an opportunity to not fall in a ditch. If you're taking a hard stance on something, you probably need softened. And the only way you're going to be softened is by someone who thinks differently than you. Okay? So if, if you're in a marriage and you're at each other's throats, if you're you know, fighting constantly, it means you're taking too hard of a stance on something and you need to rethink something. And you both need to meet in the middle because the middle's where it's the safe spot. <laughs> okay, The middle of the road is the safe spot. And that's why God gave us community. We're always in tension. I can tell you that there's people in this church um, that I don't naturally get along with. And those people are the ones who have taught me the most. Okay? It, Tim Keller had a sermon about this. And, and in this book, uh, in chapter 2, it talks, it gives analogies of the church. And the first one is as citizens. It says we're a part of a city. We're fellow citizens, right? And then it gives an example of a family. It says we're all a part of a family. And then the last example he says is, you are building blocks of the temple. And the point he was trying to make is, these are progressively, uh, you're progressively more and more bound to the people that you're living with. In a city, you have a social 
contract that says, you know, uh, if we're merging traffic, it's every other car, right? We obviously know not everyone follows that rule. Not everyone follows the blinker rule. Not everyone keeps their house nice, their yard cut or whatever, right? They don't follow the social constructs. It's easy to break that contract. But in a family, it's even harder to break that contract. It's harder to run away from your family. But we have divorce. People do run away from each other. But when you're a stone in a temple, you're cemented together. You're not getting out of that wall. <laughs> and if you do, the whole place crumbles. We, as a church, have a deeper contract expectation of staying together than even natural families do. We have an obligation to one another to, f to help each other be filled with the Spirit. We have an obligation to each other to have that tension, to challenge each other, to soften each other, right? Iron sharpens iron. So I'm way out of time. So go and read the, this last chapter yourself. Read chapter six yourself. But understand that as, as a family with a mission, we're called to be hostile to the devil. And once we get past all our relational issues, which, by the way, you never will, uh, it'll be a continual progress. It'll be continual progress. We'll continually be learning about that. But as we learn more and more about that, we'll be ready to fight. We'll be able to help each other as brothers and sisters in arms to defend each other from the devil. And not only that, attack the devil. Go straight for the gates of hell together. Because, you know, I... Time and time again, I hear stories of people who are like, you know, I, I felt a temptation again. I felt a temptation again. And it's like, yeah, me too. Uh, because we're always trying to do it on our own. Uh, there's, uh, I, think it was, I think it was Augustine, always kept some of his, his students with him wherever he went because he knew he had such a temptation to sin. And he said, if I'm always surrounded by other Christians who are concerned about me, I'll be less susceptible to sin. Don't do this alone. Don't do this church thing alone. Don't go home today and uh, wait another week or two or a month before you see another brother or sister. Share in each other's struggles. Tell them what's tough and what's going on with you. Be honest when someone says, how are you doing? And, and go out and don't let someone say, I'm fine. Don't let them off with, I'm fine. Say, why are you just fine? Why aren't you great today? You should be great. Why aren't you? What's wrong? You know, I, Christiana has learned so well to like, she's a hound dog when it comes to my bad moods. She won't let me off with, I'm, I'm okay, nothing's wrong. She knows when something's wrong and she, she makes sure I tell her. And that's us. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we are each other's keepers. So hopefully uh, I got everything out today that, that we should have gotten out today, that God wanted out today. Um,
Let's close in our communion meditation and remember this idea of being a community, being parts of the body. Yeah. Okay. So in Christ talking, right following the marriage example and the, the bride uh, being the church and the, the groom being, being Christ, he talks about, this verse says, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are parts of his body. We are one body, which means nourishing your brother and sister is nourishing yourself. We're one body. It is ridiculous to hate your own body. No one ever hated his own flesh. We're each other's flesh and blood. Through Christ, we are one body, and that means hating someone else in, in your family, in your body, in this church, uh, is hating yourself. It's hating God himself. It's hating this body that you're a part of, and that's ridiculous. So get over yourself, forgive people, and come to this table with the expectation that you're going to nourish each other and cherish each other. Um, last thing, I've been separated from communities. I've been alone before. I like to forget those moments because of my sin nature and my flesh. But when I remember those times of being alone, I'm filled with thoughts of cherishing you guys. And when we come to this communion table together, that should be our hearts. Just because we're difficult to get along with doesn't mean you shouldn't cherish us. Because if we're gone, you'll, you'll miss us. Okay? So, uh, Greg, you have something to add?